Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Managing Director at uh, Cyber Theory. And today's episode is going to focus on one of the primary causes of cybersecurity breaches. Joining me today is Andy Jenkinson, the Group CEO of CIP. That's the United Kingdom's PKI and Cryptography Governance and Management team of experts. And he's also a member of the International Advisory Council, HHERF. And he's been an authoritative voice in the space for 25 years. He's a very real cybersecurity expert. Also raced in Aston Martin and was owner of a motorcycle mountain racing team. And Andy has also managed a large team in excess of a couple of hundred folks on a variety of IT and cybersecurity projects for companies like British Telecom and Virgin Media. So welcome, Andy. I'm glad you could join me today. It's my pleasure, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. Let's start with talking about the apparent growth of um, non-secured websites. And then if you give give our listeners a little background into what CIP is about, and then how exactly, in, in your opinion, does non-secured websites contribute to breaches? And if you could give us a, a few high-profile breaches over the past few months and where that was the entry point for the bad guys. Okay, great. Let, let's make a, a, a quick start. CIP was set up on the back of a NATO military installation infiltration that was found to be utilizing the same methods of attack that Stuxnet used, and is in as much that it was using malicious code uh, laced within digital certificates. And as we all know, public key infrastructure, PKI, is something that no company actually has full visibility of, and hence why it's was first used for the first ever digital weapon uh, and right up to date to the solar winds attack and the upgrades and the digital certificates that also had malicious code sunburst on. So we were invited to, our team were invited and Dr. Alex in Germany was invited at NATO clearance level to look at this for them. And he did the rounds with a number of companies that we all know and love that are certificate lifecycle management companies. And The challenge they had, Steve, without being too technical, is they were looking after fractional management of X509 certificates. They weren't looking at the full suite. They certainly weren't looking at PGP keys or SSH keys. So they were doing fractional management, and they lacked the discovery capability. This is the real key differentiator between Whitethorn and anything else in the market and what we do. So they actually sat down with the people at NATO, and they decided that they would actually start building their own. And because they were PKI experts and data experts, they built the most incredible tool, which is Whitethorn. I was invited to set up CIP to evangelize PKI, the importance of that. And although it's been around since the 90s, when it first was globally accepted after the work that the NSA and GCHQ had done on encryption and decryption and certificates and skis, all stemming right back all the way to the Enigma machine type of thing, Steve, which people will be very familiar with. But this is the digital equivalent. It authenticates everything that's users and devices. And unfortunately, it's been abused for nearly as long as it was actually put in place since the 90s. Stuxnet itself was in 2008, 2009, as you'll know. 
and all the way up till December last year when our friends uh, SolarWinds were breached. And as we know, the malicious code Sunburst was put into upgrades and certificates. So that's how it started. If we look at some of the high profile cyber attacks that we've witnessed, particularly ransomware, I think I sent you an email earlier today. There were two major healthcare sector companies that were breached this week. One, I'm not even sure how to pronounce, but it's Escanzi, Escanzi Health and Sanford Health. And what we do constantly, and we've done this for over a thousand companies that have suffered a cyber attack or a ransomware attack, and both you and I and Matthew and others are quite vocal about this. We use the word victim quite loosely without too much empathy this day, and we're getting quite hardened to the attacks. The reality is, is a lot of these companies and all the ones we've researched, over a thousand, have had suboptimal websites or web servers. When I say suboptimal, that's a polite term for saying insecure and not secure websites. The two variants there, just to put some icing on the cake for people, is an insecure website for the uh, casual visitor may look secure. It may demonstrate and display a little padlock in the address bar, but through misconfigurations, which is the normal situation, and there are a dozen, two dozen metrics to actually ascertain that, from cross-site scripting all the way through to content, uh, third-party content to, to many, many other metrics, one only has to look at OWASP's top 10 to see the vulnerabilities of websites that can be abused and exploited. So that's what an insecure website, it looks secure, but it possibly is not. But then you get to the other extent, which is like schoolboy error. When a website is not secure and it actually displays not secure in the address bar, which means that the SSL is invalid, expired or incorrect, and typically behind both insecure and not secure websites are a plethora of vulnerabilities that are easily exploited. Why is this important? This is the real case, and this is the bit people are not still understanding, and you and I bat this around constantly. Two reasons. One, post 9-11, the terrorist attacks, the governments decided they wanted to have better controls on the digital sector, and they did everything they could and revelations that came out in the Ed Snowden book sometime 2012, 2013, actually shared some of those uh, tactics and methods. That's absolutely fine. We understand the rationale behind it, whether it was illegal, whether it was right, wrong, or indifferent, it doesn't matter here. What we do know is that blueprint of infiltrating websites and exploiting vulnerabilities, I'm sure you know this, but you can actually get a certification in offensive website security exploitation. Actually, a lot of governments look for that certification as part and parcel of a prerequisite to recruit from. The very same tactics and methods are now being deployed using open source intelligent OSINT technology to identify as part of reconnaissance from cyber criminals organizations that have these vulnerabilities that can be exploited easily. And on the dark web, as you know, you can go and buy these things left, right, and center. You can even group up with a gang of cyber criminals that will actually do the ransomware. Typically, we find the attack isn't sophisticated, but the malware may well be. But it may be also repurposed and used many, many times over. 
the access is the part that we focus on. Access is is kind of our new perimeter now, right? I mean, we the ability to uh, identify folks who are visiting is uh, is the key to at least figuring out what the entry point for what's going on. You recently investigated the TSA DHS role with CISA and the U.S. OSINT, as you just mentioned, yep. along with HackerOne Research and Intelligence. What does yep. that look like in terms of the effectiveness and validity of the TSA and DHS's uh, and then the whole U.S. government's overall security position and capability? Um, yeah, it, it, thank you, Steve. I'm no shrinking violet, it's fair to say. People say, you know, why are you calling some of these things out? The reality is we've hardened, as, as I say, a lot of us in the industry to say that victims aren't victims. They're actually creating their own opportunities to be breached. We've actually got two cases at the moment because we work with the legal side too, Steve, to, and it's really sad that it's easier to show negligence, security negligence, than it is to get companies to actually take security seriously. That's a really sad position because um, a little bit like the Chinese electric cars article you wrote earlier today, you know, all roads lead that way because if we're on this slippery slope, we're going to run out of money, people, and resources to actually fight this thing. Because one thing I always say is, if you think it's expensive to get a professional to do the job properly, wait until you do see what it costs when you don't. And the reality is we will run into real trouble. At the present time, a belief, and I've not been shy about writing about it, the NSA and GCHQ, obviously five eyes, heavily weighted in the US favor for, for say and, and, and depth, et cetera. The NSA and the government there have been very, very prominent in their offensive capability building. And they have done for nearly 20 years. Uh, you know, billions and billions of tax dollars have been paid to build tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people capable of uh, offensive digital attacks. The challenge with that is everybody has seemingly forgotten to defend themselves. I've got this firm belief, and I stand on a parapet wall often saying the same thing. All the while, offensive capability has been built, defensive capability was being ignored, and because governments were actively building offensive capability, utilizing the very methods and tools that we've already touched on, i.e. website, web server infiltration through vulnerabilities that could be exploited, it was never in their interest to tell everyone to shut the digital doors. Consequently, I could show you website after website, even universities that have been awarded hundreds of millions of dollars to teach cybersecurity whilst maintaining totally not secure websites. So one has to ask the question, what are people being taught? Now, this could go all the way to the CISO. You know, I, I wrote recently on a cyber insurance report. The governing body of the insurance world is running an F and zero rated website. And when I brought it to their attention, F and zero being the worst possible insecure website you can have, easily exploited. When I brought this to the attention of the CEO and the CISO, 
the CISO said, Andy, I don't think you're right. And I said, why do you say that? He said, because my SSL Qualys scan says I'm A rated. So which I then brought his attention to the fact that the misconfiguration of the website was not redirecting the HTTP version of their website and the content that was compromised to an HTTPS website. So the bearing of the certificate had nothing to do with the overall rating. This is a major concern. I believe, Stephen, it would be interesting to know your view. I believe that a lot of expert security, high-level people may have come, one, from a risk and compliance background, not necessarily technical. Two, many are relying on SSL scans for security when it's at maximum a tenth of the overall security posture of the website and web server. That's a major, major challenge, I believe, that we face today. It's this education that websites and web servers, the junction between internet, connectivity, and a company is where the vulnerabilities are being exploited en masse. We did another thing recently, Steve, and I'm not sure if you saw this. We plotted, we took two graphs, independent graphs. We plotted the increase in website numbers globally, and it's now around 1.2 billion of domains not all active, but nonetheless, it's 1.2 billion domains. We plotted that over the last 20 years with the increase in cyber losses. Guess what? They absolutely are matched to perfection. That shouldn't surprise anybody. We've created an ecosystem that is so complex that I don't believe humans can deal with it any longer. It, it's interesting, though, Steve, because I won't name the company because you know I, I often get told you shouldn't name the companies, and, and that's fine. But They've embarrassed themselves enough anyway. But this is a big four, okay? One of the big four. So it could be PwC, KPMG, EY, or Deloitte's. I've been in discussions with them lately, and they actually started doing a a project for one of the world's largest vendors. They got 500,000 staff, so you can limit who they might be. And they actually put a website up, and they ran that website for the adequacy of the senior professionals, around 50,000 of these guys, to put in their personal information, to actually capture it and to give them a computation of their liabilities and tax and adequacy for their various part of the world. This website was commenced in 2019. And until five weeks ago, they didn't know that it was misconfigured. Okay. I shared this with their managing partner. He runs 12 countries. And he put me in touch with one of their cyber team. Their cyber team said it's got nothing to do with anything to do with our security. And this website was displaying not secure. When we went deeper, we found a whole shed load of security issues that this website was running. So they argued and debated that it had any relevance to their security posture or their clients. Don't forget, this is a big four that bill billions of dollars a year for cybersecurity advice to their customers, many of whom will have been affected by cyber attacks. So we sit there and we debate this a little bit further. Eventually, they send a letter from their solicitor. Don't forget, we're one of the good guys. We're just trying to help. 
they send a letter from one of their solicitors. It was actually Freshfields, the major player, saying, you mustn't expose this, you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that. To which I said, either your custody, your client engages us, or this, this is open information. I don't understand what your issue is. Within one day, they shut the website down. So they were saying it wasn't important, and the next day they shut the website down. We've yeah, well, got a real distinct issue of people understanding what is real, what is not real, and taking the appropriate action. That's the issue. Yeah, of course. There are so many reasons for that. What do you make of giants like CNA, you know, enormous insurance company, uh, who does cyber, secure, uh, cyber yeah. insurance as well? What do you make of them paying out that $40 million ransom fee? And how, in your opinion, will that impact the future, specifically the future mm -hmm. of cyber insurance? Yeah, we did. A great question, Steve. Thank you. We actually, when the big players actually get hit like CNA, we do full research on them and we write reports. Uh, these reports, you know, we've got pretty much a report on every company you could name that's been cyber attacked over the last two years. And they're pretty much very, very in-depth. You've seen some of them. CNA, they were their own worst enemies in, in as much that we've written extensively on them and we've reached out to them, but they've not come back to us yet. CNA actually published, the date escapes me, but I believe it was 6th of May or something like that. They published a, uh, an announcement to the public to say, we have suffered a sophisticated uh, cyber attack. We're going through these things and, and, and you know, we hope to be back to normal soon. They actually published that, Steve, on a not secure website. <laughs> okay. So they yeah. sent out the information that they'd been attacked on the very website that they'd actually been targeted by and noted by cyber criminals that they were open season to an attack. Now, this was, this was a major faux pas. And for me, I have to ask two questions when that happens. Either they are incredibly complacent or is somebody being complicit? You and I both know the size and scale of cyber losses and costs. And there's a lot of companies that are using emperor's clothes, making an awful lot of money. You've only got to look at the shareholders of SolarWinds that dumped the shares two days before the public announcement of the cyber breach, and then most probably bought them back, sold at $24, bought back at 12. Now they're worth 23 again. There's a huge concern that finances are driving cybersecurity. You don't necessarily get any more security. You just get more money thrown around. So CNA, we looked extensively at CNA and we rated their entire websites as F and zero. We identified several website subdomains, which are part of the domain that are connected, as we know. Uh, a number of those were not secure and a whole plethora were insecure, much the same as we did with SolarWinds. You remember at SolarWinds breach, we actually went out on a limb. I wrote a white paper for the Senate Intelligence Committee say in January of this year, within weeks of the initial breach being found, saying this is how it happened. And blow me down, I've, I've possibly got the only screenshot in the world, Steve, and it's actually in the first book of the avsbmcleod.com website. Okay, it was only scanned twice in a year. The second time I was the person scanning it. I think most probably the first time they scanned it themselves to make sure it's what doing what they wanted to do. So CNA, their own worst enemy, 
they are still, like SolarWinds, F and zero rated, which is horrific. So yeah. the, the question has to be asked. One, if they don't understand it at the outset and get breached, that's that's negligent, complacent, call it what you will. If they continue in the same vein and have the same insecure perimeter defense, as we call this defense in depth, perimeter defense, if they maintain that position, two things have occurred. One, they've certainly not identified the root cause. And two, they are maintaining the insecure position, possibly ready for the next attack. Right. You know, if somebody just dropped in from Mars and, and they listened to all the stuff we've <laughs> talked about on this podcast, they would conclude that, you know, we've created this like insurmountable mess that there's there's just no way out of. You know, it's this like giant pudding of drama day in day out day in day out nobody none of the players look like they have any idea what they're doing and that's that's embarrassing to me but you mentioned and and as you were describing the cna debacle that you wrote a book about all of this and and so i wanted to probe a little bit about you know what is your thesis in this first book and where can our audience find it thank you there's two things i want to touch on first first one is there is a way out of this, Steve. And I understand your, your Martian coming down and go, oh my God, these guys have created a monster and the monster's turned a, 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 against the creator. I get that. And I actually agree with it. But let me hypothesize this to you because you know I like to think as large as I can. Think of a search engine optimization company and think of as large as you want. And I won't name one, but we're talking to some. At the moment, as we all know, in 2018, they turned around after talking about it for four years and said, any website that no longer actually migrates to HTTPS, i.e. the S for secure, will be flagged up as not secure in the address bar. Okay, that happened in 2018. So we're coming up for three and a half years ago. What's to stop them? And this is my thesis. What's to stop them to say? If your website actually comes up as not secure, we call it a halfway halfway effect. If it comes up as not secure, it will not be able to be accessed. We will stop people accessing your website because they don't know better. And we're going to protect the billions of people that are casual visitors to websites as opposed to trying to chastise a company five years after the event, like BA or EasyJet or whoever, instead of chastising them for not doing their job properly, we're going to protect the greater public. There's nothing to stop that happening, Steve, today. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I realize that, Andy. The problem is you're never going to – how are we going to get to the level where you can actually have enforceable law underneath this? Well, look, I think either we've got to try and protect the masses or we pamper to the minority. And and that's the reality. So what I did with my first book is to touch on that quickly. And I I still believe it's very possible if people have got to come to the table. You've you've only got to look at the ransom task force who are all running insecure websites. And you go, what what are people learning? You know, what, what is the leadership telling people? It's certainly not to shore up your perimeter defenses, which is a big error. However, 
The first book is called Stuxnet to Sunburst, 20 Years of Digital Exploitation. And it takes you from 9-11 all the way through to, I, I finished writing the book in February of this year, all the way through to the sunburst and the solar winds breach. The I've missed a lot of things that have happened subsequently, and I think most probably $2 trillion has been lost to cybercrime subsequently. But <laughs> yeah, I no kidding. The well, but the, the second book gets easier, right? Because wait, yeah. you could just take the last three months and you're, you're in heaven. Oh. The, the, well, the second book, Steve, is, is called Ransomware and Cybercrime. And, you know, we, as you know, I think, you know, we, we were the guys that exposed the vulnerability and exploitation of the Vatican, amongst many other things. Yeah, yeah. And, and consequently, there is still this question around, is this complacent or complicit? The question is such a deep one that you have to stop and think about it. And, and like you, I'm one of the good guys. I, I will cross the world if it means my integrity. But at the same time, What's happening and what we're witnessing is either people are, I, I, the word is too forceful, but ignorant, they don't understand, or they're not being protected. And as we both know, in class law actions, you cannot plead ignorance to insecure positions. It is your job as a multi-billion organization to protect your visitors and customers, much the same as if they walked into a high street shop with a 30-foot pit that was covered with a carpet and they fell down and broke their ankles. It's your responsibility when they go on your website to make sure they're secure. Companies are still not understanding that. Consequently, and then throw in the insurance experts and people saying, I've got an SSL certificate that's valid. It doesn't matter if it's misconfigured. Misconfigurations of websites, Steve, account for a very large percentage of issues, and, and I'm sure you know that. But equally, I would guess we find 15 to 25% of websites not secure because of invalid certificates. Yeah. I sent, uh, you, I, I sent you one just literally an hour ago on the TSA DHS. Yeah. Which means that if that's connected, and trust me, I know it is, the U.S. government's infrastructure connected to the website of that particular one that I've shared with you means there are huge exploitable vulnerabilities today in that ecosystem. Yeah, of course. And yeah, Jen Easterly just uh, presented at Black Hat yesterday, I think, in uh, Vegas. And, you know, she was talking about the new coalition between private and public and named all of the agencies who were involved. Yeah. And all of the uh, in and all of the private folks like Steve, Microsoft. Let, let me just confirm, Steve. We reach out and we liaise with the FBI, the DHS, TSA, etc. There still seems to be, uh, and CISA is another one. There still seems to be disconnect within these internal organisations and the people within each of the organisations. And I've written open letters to a number of them, as you're aware, to say, "Hey, we could really help you." You've got thousands of websites that are exploitable, that are vulnerable. This is what we do. You know, we, we do this day in, day out. We can do it. One has to question. Somebody asked me from Singapore today because they want to work with us in Singapore. They said to me, why aren't other people like you, like your company, in those positions, whether it be the DHS, TSA, or anyone else, why aren't they doing this? 
They use pen testing. They, they've got their own teams. They've got armies of teams doing this. I said, they simply are not looking. Well, and, and there's so many drivers there that, you know, as you point out, complicity is one. And complicity wears a lot of different masks. It's very, yeah. it's, there's a lot of complexity there, especially when you have, what is it, you know, 35 different federal agencies, all of whom yep. have their own siloed cyber yes. insurance, cyber security units. And, and let, let me confirm this. I empathize with these guys. I really do. We've helped the FBI, we've helped a number of organizations, but they've got to listen and see what's going on. You cannot bury your head in the sand. I understand the disconnect, but we have evidence and it's damning evidence and we just want to help. Yeah, It's a major difference. To conclude with that, I would say this. 25 years ago, organized crime would go around with a gang of people armed with guns, et cetera, and do whatever they wanted to do, whether it be drug trafficking, whatever. Right. These days, those very same people are going through a generation and coming out and going, well, with cybercrime, we don't even need to put our face in the the frame. We don't even need to be involved. It's far more lucrative. There's no attribution and nobody's getting caught or being imprisoned for it. And they're walking away with, as you say, with CNA, $40 million just by causing a problem that CNA said, hey, look, we're going to show the world. We don't look at security. We're just leaving it open season. Anyone who wants to have a go can have a populace. And that's what's happening. I'm really concerned about that because we are not making ourselves strong. We're rattling sabers at Biden's level and around him, but they're not taking action. Yeah, there's a lot of irony here, of course. So listen, I'm conscious of the clock here, and I want to keep this, if we can't, as close to 30. So my final question today, from your point of view, uh, mm-hmm. you know, across the pond, as it were, did the recent moves within the various security agencies that we've just been talking about, combined with the Biden executive order of uh, mm-hmm. you know, a month ago now, shift the balance between the attacker-defender dynamic? And what, what, in your mind, does the future of state-sponsored cyber attacks look like? Really great questions. I will try not to be cynical. The coalitions, the five eyes, the, the grouping together of a number of agencies, I'm concerned that we will see a replication of what we've seen for the last five years to 10 years of increased cyber attacks and ransomware. I read the other day that there are tax breaks for people paying ransomware now. I don't know if you saw that. It's, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> yes. a, it's yeah. a really bad precedence to yeah. set. Yeah. Consequently, my belief is that the disconnect between the agencies and the experts, and again, these silos that you've touched on, there are experts that are in favor with government because they do what they're asked to do. And there are experts that are not in favor in government because they are radical innovation, uh, innovative, and they're actually coming up with ways to make things better. I was told this off the record by a very senior MOD executive recently in a meeting who said, Andy, we as the MOD desperately need your skills and your solutions. We desperately need it. The reason we're not buying it at the moment is because not enough people are dying and there's not enough losses. 
That's an incredible statement to make, Steve. Right, but it's, it's, so it's, it's the truth. If, well, absolutely. So then if we roll that out a little bit further to your last question, state-sponsored attacks, I think it's a free-for-all, to be honest with you. And I will be cynical to the point that I will say this without fear of contradiction or replication. I believe none of us know who the cyber criminals really are. And I think there is so much money being made from it that there are certain people within certain parts of the world that have control on various elements of cybersecurity and various elements of overall security that they are turning a blind eye because it suits them. And I think we don't have, we need a digital convention, a Geneva convention for for the digital realm. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for many, many years. But even when it does, everyone needs to sign up to it. So for example, if I speak to the World Health Organization and I speak to uh, the, the DHS, and then I speak to the NCSC here in the UK, they all need to be aligned and understand that website, web server, internet connectivity needs to have a minimum standard. At the moment, none of them do. <laughs> right. Okay. That's yep. the challenge. So it was not that long ago that I shared, you know, and it's open season. I, I, I've done it it's some months ago. It's been done now. I shared the number 10 Downing Street website that was not secure with the NCSC, okay? It couldn't be much worse. I shared with the World Health Organization and many other bodies insecure websites that they were maintaining only to be thrown out and literally run out of town because I've actually announced this issue to them as if I had, you know, something that was wrong with me. Yeah, well, you know, we don't we're, we very frequently don't don't actually want the truth, do we? No, absolutely. So with the DHS, unfortunately, the guy I'm dealing with at DHS and the, the email I sent you, which is redacted, just to let the audience understand, is redacted. Nobody can identify which websites are not secure that we're sharing. With the DHS, the guy's on holiday this week. <laughs> so this week, it's all not secure for an additional week. And, you know, you can beat your brains up. Steve, I, I, in the first book, I've written an article, and you'll be more familiar with it because of your side, side of the pond, on the personnel management, the Office of Personnel Management that were breached in 15 and 16. The FBI agent that actually worked half a mile down the road from the offices of the Office of Personnel Management, which is every United States person that's worked for the forces in any way, shape or form, current or previous, was breached, as you know. The FBI agent, Adrian, whatever his surname was, tried to alert them for six months. They ignored him. They thought he was a loose cannon. They didn't want to know. He never once jumped in his car and drove the half mile to the office, which is really quite interesting. But nonetheless, this is the challenge. People want to debate. It's a little bit, we use the term here, people don't want to be told they've got an ugly child or an ugly baby. Of course they don't. And you can be as fluffy and woolly as you want. But if you've got a not secure website, hello, the house is on fire. We need to put the fire out. Amen, Andy. Amen. So listen, yeah. I we're we are out of time, but boy, we could talk for hours, right? So, <laughs> so I want to thank our guest here, Andy Jenkinson, again, 
for taking the time to share with us this morning. And I, I got to get you back in a month or two, which I'm sure we'll have tons of more fodder. For the, <laughs> right? Sadly, sure. the case, Steve, sadly the case, but it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Sure. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for joining us in another one of Cyber Theory's unplugged reviews of the complex, very complex and frightening world of cybersecurity technology and our new digital reality. And uh, until next time, I'm Steve King, your host, signing out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at CyberTheory or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.